And we're back. <laughs> Hello, Patrick. Father Brian, back in the house. Greetings, Earthling. How goes it in your <laughs> world? My world's always crazy. School starting. Yeah, you're about to pick up here. It's School amazing. School starting, how- living in St. Louis. Yeah. Uh, shout out to all the people at St. Louis. Got some great folks down there. I, per my injury, have yet to attend mass down there. Yeah, there's some great folks. We've got one of my favorite people is Austin, Austin Gomez, who's 93, I think. I love it. And he's been a parishioner at St. Louis Parish for 65 years. Wow. Yeah. Good for him. And he's been super welcoming. That's awesome. He is like, he's a super kind, good man. So, how is it bouncing back and forth? Not that bad. Okay. I mean, it's, it's hard, like, letting go of control a little bit mm-hmm. of, I don't get to, like, when you're at one parish, it's like, I have control of the homily. I right. have control of, like, where all things are going. And as we expand to two parishes, uh, it's probably the wrong word, expand. But as we're at serving two parishes, you know, you've got to, you've really got to trust the other priests and other people to kind of do their part. and Totally. Well. So, so that's a bit of a challenge, but the rectory at St. Louis is really dialed in now and we're living over there and um, yeah. It's awesome. What about, has there been more uh, sick calls now that you're overseeing two? Like, yeah, we've got a big, we've got two big hospitals. So we've got yeah. uh, Porter hospital and now Swedish and Swedish is a lot bigger hospital and we have Craig as well, but Craig is Craig's recovery for like spinal injuries. And yeah. like they do amazing work at Craig, but we don't get the sick calls as much. So mostly it's Swedish. There are a lot more shout out to father Vitold. He is totally just handling that. Great. Father Sean and I do him as well. And Sean's doing a great job too, but they, um, I think we're just really on top of it. Yeah. So it's heavy. I don't, I forget if I mentioned this or not, but I remember, I mean, one, just cause I'm so close to you, but after my bike accident, it was like the only people I wanted to see was Steph and you. Yeah. Like I, I and like the power. I just remember being on the the other side of this um, as I've started to work here at Lords and you know, we're in meetings, we're in this, all of a sudden you get a sick call and you're like, all right, I gotta go. And it candidly it, it's hard to like selfishly not be like, ugh, a sick call. Like yeah. he's got to leave right now and and that. But then once I I don't know if it was like came full circle for me, I was like, I don't care what FB's doing drop everything. Like I need to see you. Yeah. Like it really is such a powerful part of your responsibilities of someone that it, for someone that is so scared in the moment Yep. that all you want is a priest to come in. Just, it's just a sense of comfort. And so it is something that I, you know, especially as you've mentioned that before to me, but father V told thrives in those moments. I think, I think priests um, are gifted in certain areas and that maybe yeah. his, I, I don't, I truly don't know. I'm so well, this is, it's actually really funny. But I mean, so let me agree with you. I think, yeah. so from the pre side, you know, we have to remind ourselves, at least I do. <clears throat> when you get a call for the hospital, for you, you're like, you've got your normal life going on. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just, we've got a podcast and I need to prep for my homilies and we've got four staff meetings and I've got marriage prep and whatever it might be. And then the call, it just always feels inconvenient. Yeah. And there's, there is a tendency for me, cause I'm a sinner to be like, Oh, another sick call. I can't believe I have to do this. And you just <laughs> have to remind yourself. And I do this all the time. I'm driving to the hospital. And I'm like, Brian, remember, this is a very important moment for this person and for their family. And like, you need to be present and loving and compassionate with them. And usually what happens is I'm like, and like when you get the middle of the night ones, you get a call at 3am and I'm like, you just like, oh Lord, make the call go away. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and you like roll out of bed and you get the lines on your face from like, you know, sleeping on your pillow. Yep. And yep. usually what happens is like I have bad attitude. I've got bad attitude on my way over there. But then when I come back, I'm like, I'm usually like in my car. I'm like, okay, Jesus, I'm sorry. You were right. I was wrong. Totally. That was amazing. Like that was beautiful. And so. I mean, I, yeah, it's to me, all that stuff's like, I just. I personally hate hospitals. Like I just have never, a lot of my like dad's gone through a lot of health issues and this, and I've never really had outside of with Gianna. And then of course, emergency C-section. Like I'm, I always yeah. like associate hospitals with something bad. 
And I've gone with you, like I've been in the car with you and you've had to do a sick call and you'll go inside, I'll say in the car and you always come yeah. out and you always are like, in such a, it's weird, a better mood yeah. after, like, not that you had a bad mood going in, but no, that you always come happen. out, but <laughs> no, like you genuinely yeah. come out and you're like, it was great. Yeah. That was fine. I'm like, how in the world can that, for me, I just, it is such a experience to kind of go through. Um, and it, it is just awakening. And then also when Steph and I were in the hospital, we were there for four days um, and having the Eucharistic ministers yeah. come through. Yep. Those people are great. It was, and the ability, um, you know, we, we were there over a Sunday, so we couldn't go to mass and all this kind of stuff. And the ability to still receive Jesus was, yeah. it was so cool. And to like, again, being on the church side of like, oh, we got to find a Eucharist minister to go yeah. serve and all those things. But when you're actually on the other side of it, you realize how important it is. It is. Kind of crazy. Yeah. And I think it's a massively important thing for people. Yeah. The flip side, one of the things I've always argued as a priest is sick calls are, of course, no, no one, no priest would ever say this doesn't matter. Right. They're important. They really are. The, the flip side of it is, um, sometimes it can feel to us as priests, like a lot of the sick calls you get are people who haven't shadowed the, what was the phrase? They haven't, um, they haven't, they haven't gone into a church for 40 years. Right. And, right. and sometimes I think there's, it can feel to us a little bit like, yeah, we're not, don't expect us to go to church or to like, like actually do what God commands. Yeah. But when I'm, when I'm in a moment where I have needs, you had better be there. Be there now. And that's, and there's, there can be a tendency of priests to be a little bit cynical because of that. Yeah. And, and I'm, you know. Yeah, if you listen to this podcast, here's my public confession. I am a moody, cynical priest. That's like who I am. I'm just, I am moody and cynical. And I had to fight against those things always in my life. Um, but there, but that's why is like, and, and like, I remember there was one point where someone said to me, the previous pastor at Lords is a great priest, but they're like, FB, you know, Monsignor Kwong was amazing. as a call. He'd be there in a second. And I'm like, and I think I'm pretty good at sick calls. I get, I really, I go when I get the call. Um, but I was also like, you could spend your whole life just doing that. That's right. And I don't think that's what the Christian life is about. And sometimes with it, with anointing of the sick, what happens is, um, we're not, th there can be a sense that this is like magic. Yep. And so you get a lot of Catholics who think, and I've, I've had this before where people are like, they don't want to call the priest to the last minute because what they think is the way you live your life, you go through your life, you, you live, you know, however you live. And then the last thing you ever do is father comes, he anoints you. He hears your confession. He anoints you. He gives you communion and you die. Yeah. And that's just not realistic. Right. That does happen sometimes. It's beautiful. Actually. It's, I mean, I hope to go that way. It's a beautiful gift when it does, but a lot of times we're not going to, a priest might not be available. And so people get hesitant. So anyway, but the thing I was also going to say is that Jesus, Christianity is not merely about the moment you die. The moment you die is an important moment. It's an important moment where we turn to God and we ask for his mercy because there's a finality to it. Right. Yep. And, and a lot of people talk about the good thief on the cross in John 19. Yep. And that's, there's, there's truth to that. The moment you die is when you you're done making decisions you step outside of the time you can make decisions. And so that's why that's, for instance, one reason why we're like, you know, it's it, when, when you get close to death, you should go to confession, right? You know, and ask for that sacrament for the forgiveness of your sins, but also Christianity is about how you live. Right. And anointing of the sick is not magic. It's not like it, it is a sacrament. It's important. You got to hold the tension, but it's not the kind of thing where it's like, doesn't matter how I live my life. And as long as I go to anointing, you know, the second before I die, it's like the way you live matters. And so I don't know how we even got on this, but welcome to my life. That's right. uh, and I think churches need to, uh, we got to do a better job of engaging people during their life. Now I need to get myself in hot water here again anointings matter, sick calls matter. If you're, if you're, if you have a loved one or you are in the hospital, don't wait for the last minute. You know, if, if you think there might be a danger of death, if you're getting towards the end of your life, call a priest, get yeah. anointed, have a good confession, receive the Eucharist, uh, don't wait for the last minute. But, uh, 
matters how we live. I think it is important also though to hear that explanation, especially like if that is, you could put so much of an emphasis on if I'm about to die or I'm sick or any of that kind of stuff and I don't see a priest, it's like all of a sudden you're fearful of going to hell. Like it's like something that is out of your control um, that may or may not happen. But I think it is a, like to your point, a tension of as someone who tries to live a Christian life and then to sometimes it's kind of jaded. We're like, wait, he did whatever for the last 80 years and gets anointed. Now he's good to go. Yeah. What, what's the point of me trying? Yeah, I'm going to just do what he does. So it is kind of that, but I think it is really important to know that like, you know, there is grace, no matter how you look at it, you try your best, but if you can't get the anointing before, if I, die in a car accident, didn't have a choice. Like it doesn't yeah. mean you're going to hell. Yeah. I mean, we live, we live a life of faith, hope, and love, and we trust in God. And so the sacraments matter. You got to hold the tension. The sacraments matter. Anointing does something that matters. The forgiveness of sins is communicated with the sacrament of anointing, which is why deacons can't do it, by the way. Right. It has to be a priest. Um, but also, right. Like Christianity is not this, like where God's like up in heaven and you didn't live a perfect life because guess what? Nobody does. Mm-hmm. Not even the greatest of saints had perfect lives. Right. Mary's the closest, right? She did. But, but it's not like God's up in heaven and been like, and a priest didn't make it there in time or you didn't plan perfectly. And he's like, gotcha. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, you mentioned something there. This is where I kind of want to go with this one. Sometimes, <sighs> I'm going to, let's act like FB is not in the room. Sometimes FB can be very moody, very moody. That's what my old girlfriends used to always say too. (laughs) Yeah. And I've, my question is. And my sister-in-law too. Hashtag Melissa Larkin. She's like, she's like, Brian, Sean is so moody. And I'm like, thank you. It's not just me. I'm not the only Larkin boy. Who's That's right. It's a Larkin thing. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> not just FB. Okay. What do you do in those moments? Like, I'm like, I've always thought like, how do you, and I, and I think there's a bigger question to this. I'm kind of poking fun at you because it's an easy transition. Um, Be careful. I'm just going to stop there. FB's transitioning. Um, but the, uh, no, I think right now, especially, um, uh, when it comes to a lot of the school mass mandates and whatnot, there's a lot of very, um, uh, angry people that can look at the archdiocese of any, wherever you live and say like, why are they not coming out to defend us and not having our kids wear masks? And we you know we're a, a private Catholic school and, and blah, blah, blah. But in the sense of, you know, even when I've, when you and I have had bickering moments, it's like, how, is there a proper way to address somebody? You know, like I've, I've joked with Steph, like, I'm going to go to confession with FB, be like, father, forgive me. I'm really mad at my pastor right now. And like have this <laughs> indirect conversation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, how do you properly address, um, you know, I think you've called it fraternal correction. Yep. Like, how does that work? And I know you've had, you have some good stories with this and being in the, you know, brother, I just want to pray with you. And, and I think you're in the seminary uh, when that happened. Um, but how to really kind of go, go through some of those moments in a mature, hopefully mature way, um, other than just like protesting outside of your house, the rectory yeah. or the archdiocese or any of that kind of stuff. Have we talked about, we probably, we must've talked at some point whether on the podcast or not, have we talked about Balthazar's image of the constellation? Uh, it's right up there with the word conscious. No, I don't know. <laughs> right. I don't remember that one. This is kind of cool. I think it's a good launching point on this. Um, but the, uh, so Balthazar had a book called uh, the office of Peter and the structure of the church, which is the English title. I think in the, um, in the German, it's something more like, the anti uh, Petrine sentiment or something. I forget what it's called in German. Uh, but anyway, there's, it's a great little book and Balthazar talks about it in this book, but he also talks about it in glory of the Lord volume one and a couple other essays that he has in different books. But I love this image as he says. So if you're in the, if you think of the new Testament, like if Protestants think of one figure in the new Testament that represents Catholicism, who's like the, the Catholic figure in the new Testament. Jesus. 
I mean, that's what I would say too, but yeah, I don't know. But outside of Jesus, Protestants wouldn't think it's Jesus. They would be like, he's Protestant, you know? Oh, I see. Okay. Um, Paul? See, I, I think that's what most people think of Protestants. It's like, if you think of someone who kind of represents Protestantism, people tend to think Paul because he's like the scripture guy. Right. And Protestants love Paul. They're always yeah. quoting Romans and Galatians. Yep. Yep. I don't know. Yeah. So, so most people, I think, would say Peter. Okay. Right. Because the church is founded on him. Oh, right. Yep. 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 Upon yeah. this rock. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So like Matthew 16. And so, <clears throat> so I think Catholics too. I think when we, when we kind of see Peter, we see him as kind of this almost like he embodies the church. He's this figure in the New Testament. But like when you see the church, it's like, well, it's Peter. And I think Balthazar is right about that. Like that's what most of us think. And that's what I always thought for a long time is yeah. there's, and you know, you may be not thinking consciously about it, but it's kind of just there. So he has this great image though. And what he says is he says, the church is not Peter. He says, if, if there's one figure, so in the new Testament, there are different figures who are representative. They're, they're both real people, but they also represent something. And so Peter represents the hierarchical church meaning the, the, the clergy. Okay. All right. So he's, and, and a way to talk about this is charism. Charism is a Greek word that just means a gift. And the, the clergy are a part of the church. But anyway, so Balthazar, he talked about, this, he says, if you think of the church in the new Testament, and if there's a figure who represents the church outside of Jesus himself, he said, the first one we should think about is not Peter. It's Mary. Mary for the church is, is, and for Catholics, Mary is a much greater representation of who the church is than Peter is by far. Okay. Not yep. even close. But here's what Balthazar says, is he says the church is not one figure in the New Testament. The church is the communion of all of those who love Christ. And so Balthazar says it's like a constellation. Hmm. So if each one of those figures is like a star. Yeah. And I, this is one of my favorite images from Balthazar. It's just beautiful the way he put this together. <clears throat> but he says the church is a constellation. And so the church is not Peter. The church is Peter in relationship to Mary, to James, to Mary Magdalene, to John the Apostle, to Paul, to all these people. It's a communion around Christ. And so when you look at the stars, when we think of the church, it's, it's these stars that are all in communion. They move together. Yeah. They move together through the night sky. And, um, and so the reason I bring this up, I think this is really helpful for the question that we're kind of engaging today. We want to talk a little bit about uh, challenging each other, fraternal correction. And I think it's a great question of like, especially with the clergy. Yeah. How do you do that? If you're a good Catholic, how do you disagree with your priest, um, your bishop, your deacon? the Pope, you know, how do right. we, how do we handle that? And so I think a great starting point is that, uh, the church is not Peter. The Catholic church is not your pastor. The Catholic church is not your Bishop. The Catholic church is not Pope Francis. The Catholic church is the communion of those who belong to Jesus Christ. And so the, the pastors of the church, the, the bishops have a role. They have a role that really matters. You just can't live without your coffee. I need my coffee. Ryan just brought Patrick his <laughs> coffee. Yeah. Um, but that's, so the, so the church is not Peter, right? The, if there's one person who represents the church. So, so again, so Peter would be the hierarchy. Okay. In terms of what Peter represents. And so the, the, the bishops, priests like myself, deacons, the Pope, we're members of the body of Christ. But we ourselves are not the body of Christ. Right. We're members of it. We're part of it. Now, Mary is a better representation of the church because Mary, anything you can say about the church, Mary is the perfect image of the church. Got it. Mary is the one who says, yes, what it means to be a Christian is to surrender yourself in faith, hope, and love, which is what Mary does in Luke 1 when she says yes to God. And then Christ comes to be conceived inside of her, which is what Paul will say in many places in the New Testament is that what it means to be a Christian is to have Christ living inside of you. Uh, 
this is what Mary knew before anyone else, right? To be a Christian is also to be purified of your sin. Well, the first person to be purified of all sin by God is Mary, the mother of God. She was preserved from all stain of sin. And Paul will say that in Ephesians chapter one and Ephesians chapter five. He'll talk about it in first Corinthians chapter three, all kinds of different places. Um, okay. So here, anyway, here's the point, long intro here. We need to get what Balthazar says is what happened in the more recent history of the church is that priests were removed from the constellation. So there's, if you have a constellation is, let's say, let's say there's 20 stars in the constellation. Yep. And each of them has a unique role. So for instance, Mary Magdalene could be representative of the church that is penitent. So Mary Magdalene has turned from her sins because she loves Jesus. Yep. And there's a big part of the church that that's, that's an ongoing gift in the church, a charism that there's a group of us who we have a past. Yeah. And we've, we've got a pretty broken past, but that has, there are broken past and our encounter with the mercy of Jesus has caused us to love him and to turn towards him. Yep. Um, so there's, there's these different charisms. Well, Balthazar says, for lots of historical reasons that we don't have to get into, but especially around Vatican I, which happened at the end of the 19th century, um, we started to put priests on a pedestal. And we started to treat them as if they weren't really members of the body of Christ, that they're kind of separated. And so, so Balthazar says Peter's star was isolated from the rest of the constellation. And, and again, you could take this the wrong way. I'm not saying here that priests don't have a definitive role. Priests do. Yeah. The bishops have a definitive role. The priests have a role. Deacons, the Pope. We, we all have a definitive role. The, the star of Peter does. There's an authentic authority that priests have. Uh, there is authentic governance of the sacraments, these kinds of things. And those things are really, really important. But they're not the whole of the church. And so the consequence of this has been people don't think priests are real human beings. Right. And by the way, I think this is why our podcast matters. It's because you and I, you're like, you, you don't like disrespect the office of priesthood. You're like, you know that I'm a priest and you're very respectful of my priesthood, but you also know I'm just another dude. Right. On a certain level. Like I'm right. another guy. I'm not perfect. I'm another Christian who's like trying to live the Christian life. I have a certain authority I have a certain role in the body of Christ. I'm the one who has to say mass and hear confessions, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm a Christian too. Right. With real life things. I mean, that's, I who's, think that's- Who can be moody once every 10 years. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. But that's a hundred percent true. I think the, I think what's been so interesting for me um, and learning more about priests or archbishops or the Pope, any of that kind of stuff, like, I came to Christ at my priest level, right? Like I became Catholic through RCIA at Our Lady of Lourdes. Yep. As a byproduct, and then from the aftermath of that, I found out about Archbishop Aquila. Yeah. I found out about Gomez, found out about all these other, you know, bishops. Yep. Um, where it's kind of been like my battle has been like hearing the different opinions of archbishops and the Pope and all this kind of stuff that I'm like, it makes me mad when they don't help me defend my stance and why I became right. Christian and Catholic. Um, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, and it's probably not a great thing. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah. a lot of times I'm like, I don't really care what they think. I, that never affected me in my decision. So I don't, yeah, I'm not, it, I'm not a Catholic for, because of Aquila. God Aquila. Bless him, right. But I love your Archbishop, but I'm not a Catholic because of you. That's right. Yeah. And so then it becomes tough where it's like, you know, you want them to help defend you in your thoughts and you want, you want that, you want the archdiocese to come out and say like, nope, we're standing up against government mass are not going to be required and let's yeah. fight. But on the flip side, when they say something I don't like, kind of like, <laughs> yep. okay, you know, here's it's, I don't think it's a great thing. Like I understand there is authority, but I also think to your point earlier where, you know, priests and archbishops, everyone's kind of been put on this pedestal. Um, 
to where it's like, whatever they say goes. And I don't know where the balance is there. And how do you actually correct that? Like I've seen it just kind of playing out right now with, if you don't agree with the archdiocese, like, what do you do? Do you flood their inbox with emails? Do you protest? Like, how do you actually support? Because there is a business aspect to it that you really have to understand for them to actually come out and defend anything like legality, money, financially, like all that kind of stuff. How do you, what's appropriate to push back on for a priest, for an archbishop? How do you actually get there? Yeah. I mean, these are hard questions, but I think I I do love starting though back with that consolation thing, because the thing I, to have a healthy church, priests have got to stop being isolated. Yeah. And priests and, and oftentimes Orthodox Catholics, faithful Catholics, they want to respect the priesthood, which is good. Yeah. You know, we've all had the priest. I, I've known priests who like, don't call me father. <laughs> That's stupid. Yeah. You're, there's a great line, Monsignor Glenn, before, you know, before he died, one of the stories he, he talked about was that he messed that up one time and he was talking to his secretary and he said, you know, we're getting close enough. You don't have to call me father. And she was this feisty Italian woman. <laughs> and she looked at him and she said, I don't call you father because I think you're better than me. I call you father because that's what you're supposed to be to me. Ooh. <laughs> and Glenn Ooh, was like, touche. okay, I'm going to go sit in my office now, you know? Yeah. So, but we've all, we've all had the priest who's like, I, like there was a priest when I was a focused missionary who told all the students, don't call me father, call me Jeffy Poo. Nice. And that's not helpful. Yeah. It's not good. You're a priest. Like, and so anyway, a lot of good Catholics, what we want to do is we want to we want to show ourselves to be good, faithful Catholics. We respect priests. And so we call them father. We respect their decisions. And there's good in that. Yeah. Priests are not God. Right. And what happens, and here's the unintended thing. If, if we push that too far, if we push it too far, what happens is that priests get weird. And so I know there's certain priests in Denver who shall remain nameless, but I know, I know some priests who people treat them like demigods. Yeah. And what happens is they put such pressure on themselves that they're like, people see me as a representative of Jesus, which is good. We do represent Jesus. Guess what? So does every baptized Catholic. Right. And priests do in a special way, of course. But if you push it too far, what happens is priests start acting like they're not human beings and they get weird. Yeah. And I actually think this is one of the ways you get scandal in the church is priests put such pressure on themselves. They say, Oh my gosh, like I, I couldn't wear a t-shirt. Right. That would scandalize people. Why would that scandalize someone? Right. It's good to wear your collar. I think it's important to wear your collar, blah, 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 blah. You push that too far. Priests are human beings. We have temptations. We have sins. Guess what? That's every human being. And when we start treating priests like they are demigods, that's when they really get isolated. And when you get isolated, Satan has a heyday with you. That's right. On the other side, so getting back to correction, if you disagree with your priest, my first question I just want to say to you is, do you have any relationship with your priest? Right. Because if, if you don't, like he has no way to relate to you. And he's, he told himself and you've told him by your actions that he's above ordinary people. No, he's not. Yes. He has authority. He's kind of, it's kind of a little bit like a boss, like a good boss at a job has real authority. He has to make decisions. She has to make real decisions. If you have a, a woman for a boss, that doesn't mean they're infallible. Guess what? The church does not believe priests are infallible, right? The church does not believe the Pope is infallible except in certain circumstances. And all of us are healthier and in good leaders, the best leaders in any organization, amazing parish is always great about this. Like I know that I don't make the right decisions a lot of times. What feels really good is when you and I and our team at Lords, when we figure out something together and we say, Hey, what should we do about the masks? What should we do about this? It's a really hard decision and we fight about it and we say, we come out and I say, you know what? The buck has to stop with me. Five of us think this, four of us think this. And I think we're going to, we're going to go this direction. Yeah. Now, if one of you comes to me and says, Hey, if B, you sidestepped real discussion, you didn't stand up for me. You didn't hear this out in that context. That's just awesome. Yeah. 
That's when you get a healthy right. church. That's right. And you and you say, and you get employees who will say, and not just employees, parishioners who will say, hey, you know what, Father? Um, you you missed this one, but we have a relationship. That's way different than priests are just treated as these demigods and then they're isolated and they're going to take everything as a personal attack. That's right. So, so that's, that's a long intro just to say like priests, priests are Christians, they're human beings. And like, I'll say this, a shout out I have today, actually the, the craters are uh, a family here at Lords. They're wonderful. I had dinner with them last night, love their family. Their kids are great. And it was really funny at the end of the night. So Tim and Amanda, Amanda said to me, I think at the end of the night, she was like, oh yeah, like Chandra told me that, she's like, don't be nervous about FB. He's just, he's just a guy. <laughs> and she's like, I was so nervous having FB over. And, yeah. and I forget this because you know me. Yeah. Like I've studied Catholicism a lot, but I, the truth about me is I am a sinner who has a lot of issues in my life and a lot of brokenness. And I need the mercy of God and I need relationship. Right. And so I think a lot of these problems would be easier in the church if priests were in relationship with people. And it wasn't just, Hey, you were in the local Seven Eleven. I've got a complaint. Yeah. Like that's fine. I guess it has its place, but we're not, we're not a Seven Eleven. We're the body of Christ. That's right. I'm your, I'm your spiritual dad and dads screw up. Right. I screw up a lot. But if I know I'm loved by the people, and so I think that's that that's the overarching, I think almost most important thing I can say is that are you just someone who's on the sidelines and is like kind of like social media today? Totally. Do you just get to throw a grenade in and like throw some random comment in? Or are you my son or daughter or brother and sister in Christ who's like, hey, FB, I love you. I don't get this one. Yeah. I think it goes back to our, even our previous episode where it's the ability to have that conversation and walk away and hear different perspectives and not just to your point, a 200 character limit and drop this Twitter bomb on somebody. Um, And I think that's where I've been fortunate not being a cradle Catholic from the standpoint of like, you know, you see these things like the, the Bishop and the, grinder scandal and and all the you know the a lot of the church scandals that yeah. you know a lot of people have left the church because of that and and, yeah. and, it, and by no means do am i saying it's acceptable it's any of the above but priests are human yeah and and i feel like we've lost that ability like that shouldn't for me that's never once made me question my faith it could question you know i could think you know, well, should priests be 18 when they become priests? Like, I don't even know how to pay my utility bill before most of these guys are joining seminary. Right, <laughs> totally. <laughs> like, there's real challenges that are tough, but I, I do agree with you that when, like, I always kind of joke with you, it is really hard for me to call you Father Brian. Yeah. Like, and it's not a, by no means is it a disrespect thing. Right. It's that, my closest friends, I call bro, you know, like what's yeah, totally. up, man, what's up? Yeah. Like that Dude, type bro. of thing. Like for me to, to, for me to use a proper, it like almost disconnects me yeah. from you. And it's been really hard with father Sean and father V told like, yeah. those are my guys, like, yeah. or even father Jason and father Mike, like it is, that is so hard for me to say. And especially cause those two are total losers. That's right. Yeah. You know, and when you look <laughs> down on somebody like that, no, yeah, uh, yeah. but it, it is like a true, like yeah. endearment. My ultimate respect is to say like, yeah, you know, like father Mike, for some reason works for me, but father Jason, like it's really hard. Um, but I could see it though. Like when you start to put them on that pedestal and, um, I think you see two things happen. One, you, the priest always gets the nicest things. Yeah, most of the time, which is uh, to your point, a huge temptation. And then yeah, two, when you are in that isolation and no one can be real with you and no one can have that conversation, yep. devil's going to flood in to the ultimate degree. Yep. Um, Priests need brothers and sisters, and we right. put this huge pressure on ourselves. I know I've done this, where like there, there, a huge temptation for priests is to have a public veneer. Right. It's different from who you are. That's right. And that's, and, and the reason is because you, you get scared. What you want people to know is that holiness is real. 
Because it is. And and the priesthood in some way in the church represents that the church is not a bunch of nice people who got together and built their way up towards God. Pope Benedict makes a great point about this is that part of the role of the bishops being appointed by the Pope is that it's, it's meant to say that we don't get to have a democracy on Christianity. Yeah. Christianity is something that was given to us from above. And that's part of like what a, a bishop's, the Bishop of Rome by appointing bishops across the world. There's something important there that says we don't just by popular vote get to do this. So that part matters, but there's this temptation of like, we want, we want people to know and good priests. And I really mean that good priests. We want people to know that like, Hey, this, the, the sacraments are real. The faith is real. Holiness is real. But something we do sometimes because of that is we think, well, but I'm a sinner. And so I can't show people that because if, if they right. see that I'm a sinner, that I've had lustful thoughts yeah, and like, um, I'm greedy and I kind of have, I have a temptation to comfort, yeah, um, whatever it might be that if I admit that they're going to think that the faith is not real. And I think, you know, what happens because of that is these guys get isolated and to be a Christian means that we are a group of sinners who through the grace of God are working towards holiness. Right. And I think honestly, this is one of the reasons we've had scandals. That's right. Is because priests have become isolated. Yeah. And they're still fathers. They're still priests. Uh, but they're also, they are, they're members of the body of Christ. And one last thing I was going to say on that, I'm sorry, I cut you off was, the most consistent compliment I've received in my priesthood over the, the 10 years I've been a priest is when I publicly in my homilies will talk about how I have, I have sins of lust. I have sins of hatred. Yep. I have sins of jealousy and pride. I have, I have all these sins. People are shocked. Yeah. And, and I think it's been one of the big successes at Lord's is that people come and all of us act this way. We, we all, and it's not just priests who do this, but I think especially we've talked about this before. You come to a place like Lord's and it's filled with beautiful people and it's filled with people who know the faith. Right. And people walk in and even the people who are regulars here and who know all the Catholics speak and they know who Cardinal Seurat is and they, they know, you know, what the, I don't know, what Vatican II like was all about they even feel pressure of everyone here lives the, the Christian life really seriously. And I'm a broken human being and no one knows it. That's right. And it isolates you. Yep. And Satan's like, no one would love you if they knew. That's right. Hey, if they knew, if they knew that you're a married woman and you've got a crush on that other guy who goes to church. Yeah. If they knew that, they everyone, no one would ever love you. That's right. And in this way, we, we, we live the Christian life on our own and we're not supposed to. Yeah. And this is why James, I love it. James, uh, in James chapter four, James has a line where he says, uh, confess your sins to one another. Um, in Isaiah chapter one, Isaiah says, uh, though your sins be uh, red as scarlet, they may become white as snow, bring them to the light. And, and so with, with correction for priests, and I think this is the big problem we've got to work on is there's a lot of fear in Catholics sometimes. Yep. If people knew that I, um, I have a problem with temperance. I got drunk last week, you know? Yeah. Like if people, if people found out that I had a drinking problem, then I'd never be forgiven. Right. And I'd never fit in. And one last story and I'll turn it over to you, but, um, I don't have permission to say this person's name, so I won't say it. Um, but a friend of mine, she years ago, Patrick knows the story, uh, but years ago she got pregnant before she was married Yep. and she's a devout Catholic. And I'm very honestly, one of the best people in my life, like one of the best people I've ever met. I love her to death. And she was terrified to tell me. Yeah. And she, she was so scared that if, that when I found out and she, of course she knew I would find out at some point, but she was terrified to tell me. And she, she, when she came and finally talked to me about it, she's like, FB, I was scared that 
that you would be so ashamed and that you would, gosh, I'm going to cry in today's podcast. But she was like, I was scared you'd throw me out. And you'd ask me not to be a part of the church anymore. And she was in ministry. She was helping me with, with a, one particular ministry. And she was a leader in that ministry. And she was like, FB, like everybody knows I'm not married yet. You know? And, and I told her, I was like, Hey, this is in your, this is your decision if you want to do this or not. But, uh, I told her, I said, I think you should tell everybody because it's an, because it, for the same reason, people come to Lords and everyone's perfect. Right. And Christi- the good news of Christianity is that when we sin, and sometimes very seriously, there is mercy. Right. And that Jesus didn't die on the cross for a bunch of perfect people. He died for people like me. I told the new priest, and so she, she ended up telling this group, and it's the most powerful moment, I think. It's, it, I mean, honestly, it's one of the most powerful things I've ever seen in my life. I bet. Yeah. Uh, and people in that, in that group, I mean, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. And she told them all. She said, I was so scared to tell FB. And he received me with mercy and friendship and love. And, um, and that her witness, and of course, and the, 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 the important condition on this was that she was sorry about the, about the, the mistake she made. Right. Um, she was sorry that she had committed that sin. But what that did is it created this space where now it created a freedom where everyone in that room was like, oh, wow, I can bring my sins to the light. That's right. And I don't have to be held in captivity and fear that I'm just, you know, isolated by this. So I didn't, we didn't even mean to go into this kind of depth on this stuff, but I love that we did. 100%. I... Uh, the more I've, I mean, uh, what do I even go with this one? <laughs> is, um, the more I know what a sinner you are, FB. <laughs> that's right. The easier my life has become. No, um, I think um, for whatever reason, I look back on my life and I, I've gone through a lot of things yeah. from a very young age. Um, and the more that I've gone through, and it's not like I'm some sage. You know, like this isn't it. But I think the more I'm around somebody that acts perfect and like yep. they have no faults. Yeah. And no doubts. No. Yes. The more I, the more skeptical I am yep. and realizing like, I mean, you even just start from the beginning of the Bible and it's, you got Adam and Eve and this temptation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I've started to, I've really kind of. I really love learning more about spiritual warfare in a weird way of like yeah. just the temptations and what's out there and how real life is. And nobody is perfect. So yeah. the people that act perfect, I'm more skeptical of me too. Cause I'm like, what in the hell are you hiding? I'm like yeah. I want to follow you for a week and see what exactly you got going on versus I would much rather have like, I love it when somebody can say like this, is what I'm struggling with. Cause mm-hmm. odds, odds are so am I, yep. you know, like, the ability to come out and just say, here it is. Here's, yeah. here's what's going on. One, it alleviates the weight of the world off your shoulders. And two, probably 95% of the people in the room are battling something similar. Yeah. And 100% are battling something. 100%. So to be able to go in there and do that, it's not only like you're helping more people than just yourself and yeah. that standpoint. And I think nobody is... Again, that's where it's like, I always kind of crack up when it's like you, how often, especially when I became Catholic, I was obsessed with going to confession, which we've talked about, but it's not like you step into the confessional and you're sitting next to this white light of purity, you know, like it, right. it helps me to go in there and think like, okay, I'm going to go sit down and talk to my preaching and, and understand scripture, you know, whatever the Bible may try to say in, in regards to this specific thing, I'm going to confess. Yeah. But why is that not possible or this expectation that priests can't have the same thing? Yeah. Like that ability, like they have real life challenges and it has been very interesting for me working here and seeing other priests and other so-and-so, you know, like archbishops, all that kind of stuff. Like it's a whole different ball game, but the same issues. Yeah. It's just as political. It's just as demanding, just as all the above. 
um, that the world is what it is. And so to expect more um, and that it's not, and if it, if something happens, scandal, which it all, we talked about how it leads to it, but then when that happens and that pushes you away from the faith, I think it's an, it's an unrealistic expectation. And I love talking about this. This, I mean, I think Patrick, what you and I are talking about, right? This is the power of the gospel. Right. The power of the gospel is not, and priests, we too, we too easily fall into like, the, there's what's called the munera of priesthood, and it's kind of like these powers. And you have, uh, to, it's to teach, to govern, and to sanctify. And that those are kind of our functions in the church. We're supposed to teach. Yep. We're supposed to have a level of governance. Yep. Um, and really, the, the governance, though, is not, it's not just like minutia. The governance means that we have a responsibility over the governance of the sacraments and of the, the life of the church. Yeah. Um, and then the third is to sanctify. Yeah. Right? By, by calling people to conversion, by hearing confessions, all these things. But I just love, I just, this is great. I just think the power of the gospel when we're vulnerable, when we bring our sins to the light and to the blood of Jesus Christ, that's what a priest is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And priests, we know we've got to be careful. Priests are supposed to be holy. We have a responsibility. Every Christian does. Priests have a particular responsibility to become holy. Yeah. Um, but I think that sometimes gets twisted into this false perfectionism. That's right. And I wanted to quote that, that quote from Isaiah that I mentioned earlier. So just more, more precisely, this is Isaiah chapter one, verse 18. And here's God speaking. God says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Um, the, God loves it when, when we bring our sins to the light, they lose power over us. Father yep. John Ricardo is big on this. And I've, I've known this. I think he, he I, in fact, I know he does. He reads a lot of the same people I read N.T. Wright. When he did the convocation here in Denver, he was quoting some N.T. Wright. And I, and before he even quoted him, I was like, oh, he's been reading N.T. Wright. Um, but one of the things is that sin holds power over us. Yeah. And, and so correction. And I think this is, again, and we should talk a little bit about Matthew chapter 18. But, but I think if you're going to correct your bishop or your priest, we, you and I as Christians, we've been formed by the cross. Like justice matters. God is, God is just. He is righteous. And so justice is about things being the way they should be. Yep. So like, let's take with the mask mandates. Yeah. People have really strong opinions about this and they care about their kids. Right. Right. Like you, you care about this now when Gianna's seven. That's right. And she's in a school. If, if the, please God, may this not be an issue then, but you're going to care about this more because you love Gianna. Right. And you want things to be right for her. That's right. And that's good. And that's important. And we'll get to that in a second, but, but also I just think we've, we've got to get to a place of your bishop and your priest are not regional managers. Totally. It's not who they are. Yeah. And, and priests and bishops, I don't think any of them listen to this podcast, Right. but if they did, what I would say to them is you're not a regional manager. And very frankly, I felt that way sometimes with Archbishop Aquila. I felt that way with other priests of like, we're an organization. You're my boss. That's right. And that's not the gospel. Yeah. You're not my boss. You're my bishop. Yeah. You're my father. You are my brother in Christ. Do you love me? Right. Right. And like, and do you want, and I'm, you know, aside from mistakes, like, do we really love each other in the unity of the spirit? And when you read the new Testament, I think people skip over these sections all the time. Paul will use really flowery language about, um, building each other up in the bond of the spirit in the love of Christ. And it's all this flowery language. And we're like, blah, 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 blah. Well, the first problem about correction is that we don't act like this in the church. If you're like, like P and, and people have criticized the way that I run the staff at Lords, which I am not above criticism. Right. But father John Ricardo, I felt total vindication from him. 
was he was talking at the convocation for the priests, and he was like, "Your staff can't just be a staff. That's ridiculous. They need to be a team with you, and more than a team, they need to love you, and they need to love each other." And I'm like, "We're not perfect at Lords, but we've got something like that." Yeah, yeah. And if you guys come to me, and if you come to me, and you're like FB. We just got to talk about this. Like, yes, we. I'm your boss, but we're we're way more than that, right? You know, yep. Like we have a deep friendship, and we're on mission together, and we're in a place of like, yes, I've got to make decisions at the end of the day, but that's a different conversation than if you're just like, hey, I bought a TV from your Best Buy last week, <laughs> and you know, I didn't get the cord, or customer service was terrible. Right? That's right. So, I think there's. um there's also a side, and I'm gonna. This is the director of development <laughs> coming out of me. Yeah. The side of you know we hear it and I I've felt it and all the above of like you know when Gianna is seven and I am pounding the table saying like how is the school not defending my daughter and wearing this mask? Yeah. And there is another implication that oftentimes I don't feel like really gets brought up and it's kind of the elephant in the room. Um. But in my job specifically asking for money and support yep. is, and I just have to make this side note of, you know, if you're going to demand things out of the archdiocese and out of the school and, and why are you not fighting the government? It also is hold the mirror up and also like be prepared of, you know, come with financial support, emotional support, all the yeah. above of it is a huge legal battle that it's one thing to just say like, my archbishop isn't doing enough, but it's like also like, okay, well, what are you doing other than flooding an inbox of somebody saying how bad they are and all the above? There are a lot of practicals that need to go into it that then it, it kind of frustrates me where it's like, well, the church should have the money for this or, you know, like, there is a huge implication involved in that, that I don't think the church does a great job of explaining mm-hmm. and understanding, even when it comes to like Catholic education. Absolutely. When we talk about, you know, why does it cost so much and the cost to educate and this and that we're begging for money to make education possible. Yeah. If we were just very transparent and how much this stuff costs and, and made it very practical, people would get behind it. But yeah. a lot of times it's very, very like, we just can't afford it. Like, well, what does that even mean? Yeah. And understanding how much legal fees cost to fight certain things. Yep. So one, being able to have that open line of communication with your priest, with your archbishop, have that dialogue and try to determine what is the right approach. Yep. But then also taking in that responsibility of like, okay, well now I need to support it because it's this isn't a profit machine by any means, the church. Yeah. And in order to stand up to certain things, it does take more than just nasty emails to, to get things done. Yeah. And, and just frankly, I'm like, so we're hurting for vocations in Denver right now. Right. Like big time. Yep. It's an elephant in the room in Denver is we are not producing vocations. Right. Absolutely not. And people complain about it all the time, but, and we get people and they, they, they sometimes just don't see the whole picture, just like anything else in life. But they'll be like, why aren't our priests doing X, Y, and Z? And I never say this because you shouldn't as a leader. As a leader, you need to be, part of your job as a leader is to be misunderstood, mm-hmm. is to take hits. Yeah, That's a huge job of a leader. And if you're not willing to do that, you have no business being a leader. Right. Right. And that's not just in the church, that's anywhere in life. Yeah. Like you've got to be, but, but one of the things I always want to say to people is like, the church as a whole the clergy certainly bear responsibility for this, but so does every Catholic. Yeah. The church as a whole has not produced vocations. And I, I'm going to even push it a little further. We have not produced vocations that are impressive in the church. And I don't know how long. Right. And this right. isn't my brother priest. I love you all and myself included, but I'm like, why is it like when you meet really impressive men, they're not thinking about priesthood. Right. And I, and you know what, how they would is if we had a compelling, thriving church that called people, men love being called to greatness. That's right. They love that. And I don't know all the answers. It's a tricky question. It's complex, but, and even like a lot of guys coming through seminary and we can be 
as a man, I'm overly hard on men. So I should throw that out there. But we need more impressive men in our seminary. We need men, we need men who are total studs. Yeah. Right? The guys who are like, we need the guys who are like, I'm either going to be a Marine totally. or be a priest. Yeah. You know? Well, don't you think though, too, like when you, when I'm hearing you say that, and I, I think to myself, like I've been to dinners with you and you have, you know, I would say, and I hate giving you compliments, but. No, you don't. You're the priest that like, you are real. And people, you know, they joke, like exactly what you said. That happens more often than not. Like, don't be worried about having FB over. Like, he's a real man. (laughs) Like, he's a real person. But before, call it, and uh, not to even put a time thing, because I don't really know, but it's just a (laughs) me being uh, broad terms. But if in the 50s, 60s, you looked up to a priest, I would imagine a lot of people would look up to that from their power the power they held. I want to be up there on the altar, everyone looking at me. I'm the final say, you know, it's, it's very, it's a, it's a bad way of looking at the priesthood. Yeah. That's a great point. And then now when we're not in a place of priests are being human, you have all this scandal, all the repercussions of that. Everyone's like, I don't want to be a priest. Yeah. But on the same time, like you walking into the house and you are real, you always do the, like the crazy handshake thing and this, with the kids, you're playing with the kids. Kids can look up to you and be like, I want to be that for all the beautiful reasons. Everything we've talked about of why I I come to you for the rules. Help me understand why the church says this. And you do a phenomenal job of breaking down those rules to understand the beauty behind it. The beauty of the priesthood when before it was like, up on this pedestal, I want everyone yep. to respect me, and I'm going to find that in the priesthood. Yep, and the priesthood uh, dies a thousand deaths. That's right. When that happens. That's right. Yeah. And so now, trying to look at it from the standpoint of like we are in this period of no vocations, priests are super isolated. No one can have a real conversation. Try and understand any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, that we're probably years away from fixing that. It's not an easy fix and changing a whole movement like that. Yeah. Um, but it, it is a, a big need of yeah. ours, but I think the only way you're going to get there is having real priests like the companions yeah. who you all call each other out on things. You're a group of young, energetic guys out there in the community on bikes, doing, doing stuff yeah, out doing in the public stuff, yeah. that are showing your normal people that yep. sure you, you hold yourself to a higher standard as you should. Sure. That's a big responsibility of it. But that's going to take time and, and the youth groups and starting, you know, Father Sean taking over the youth ministry and, yeah. and you're going to be doing that and, and just giving something for a young person to look up to Yep, that isn't just the nun with the ruler and this powerful priest that it's changing the way you look at it. And from there though, but if you're starting at the youth ministry, you're 20 years away from somebody joining the priesthood. Yep. And we've so we got a huge yeah, gap. There is a huge gap. And I think... But this is where total another tangent though, that I understand the need for priesthood, but also like introducing other foreign ministries into Arch the Archdiocese of Denver, wherever you're at, to fill holes. I think that's a short term kind of solution right. that may or may not help. Cause again, some and that's a whole nother topic yeah. that I'm about to put my foot in my mouth. But I don't know if that helps you in the long run yeah. of like, you know, not a lot of children are looking up being like, I, I don't even know what they're saying, let alone do I want to be a priest. Like it's, it's a healthy, a healthy church produces. So the men and women who come from other countries are heroic. hundred percent. Right. Like I could never do it. I'm like, right. I got a good father. Have you told, I want to like, yes, me going to Poland and being a priest. Like I just couldn't do it. That's right. So, I mean, those guys are heroic. But a sign of a healthy church is it produces vocations at the local level. Totally. That's a healthy totally. church. Two really quick points I want to make. If you're going to, if you want to learn about correction, you got to read Matthew 18. And so Matthew 18, Jesus gives rules about this, right? He gives, he gives rules about how you do correction. Um, and so uh, what he's going to say in there, got to find it. It's 19. Um, you come in just throwing chairs, right? Come in throwing chairs. <laughs> um, so, so in Matthew is 18, starting in verse 15, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So usually people read this and they say, okay, the big rule is 
and, and I could tell story after story about this. If you have a problem with your priest or any other Christian for that matter, you do not send a public statement. I had, I had a parishioner at one point in my priesthood who was frustrated with me and sent an email to 60 families in the parish Yeah, and just blasted me. Never came and spoke to me. Right. That's a big no-no. That is, that is immature. That's that right. is against what Jesus teaches. But I think in this passage, like two points I just want to make. Number one, because you can read the rest. Read, read Matthew 18, 15 through 20. And there's a, there's a progression. But, I, but the first point I want to make is it says, if your brother, we're not talking about our, people just out anywhere. And I think that's that we made a big point of this today. Are you in actual relationship with this person? Right. Or is this just someone you think is another local kind of regional manager? And then the second point is if your brother sins, we're not talking about, I don't like the decision you made here. Right. You should talk to them about that too. But this is like, he committed a sin or she committed a sin. Totally. You got to choose what hills you die on. Priests, priests are used to, and I, you know, if we move a statue six inches, you're going to have a hundred people pissed off at you. Right. Brothers and sisters, we got bigger fish to fry. That's right. Right. You got to, and like, if you're going to be a Christian, you got to learn to be a little humble and not control everything. You got to let go. And that doesn't mean priests should be given carte blanche, do whatever the heck you want to do. But, but on, but on your part, just like Patrick said, you got to be, if your brother sins, come behind your brother, your father, call them out in a loving way and be part of the solution. That's right. Be part of the solution. Be like, Hey, and let them know I'm not here to throw stones. I'm here because I love the church and I love you. So in the mask mandate, you know, Hey, father, Brian, you made a terrible decision about the mask mandate. And I know that our whole school is going to be mad at you. I'm mad at you right now. Can I be part of the solution? That's right. And I'll jump in with you and I will, I will help fix this with you. And guess what? I'll take hits with you. Mm-hmm. We'll go, we're going to fix this. We're going to go the other direction. And I, and I'll take hits with you. I'm not just going to let you stand up there alone and take the hits. That's right. That's huge. And last thing for my part, I would say today, quick story. When uh, the companions went to the Vatican, let's say six years ago for a trip, Cardinal Stafford gave us a tour because we're spoiled rotten. And everyone knows about the Sistine Chapel that Michelangelo painted. But there's another chapel called the, um, the Pauline Chapel. Um, and Michelangelo painted two frescoes in there. And this is, I think this story is so important for what we're talking about today. So on the, in this fresco, there's, there's, there's one on either wall. And apparently like after a Pope is named, he goes to the Pauline chapel and prays. And on one side is Paul's conversion. And that's a powerful time fresco that I don't want to talk about because we don't have time. But the other one, I love this. And this is Cardinal Stafford's own read on this, but it's super powerful. So Michelangelo is painting this chapel at the Vatican when Europe is tearing itself apart in the Reformation. And a lot of the reason that Europe's being torn apart is because the popes have committed terrible sins. Mm. And they've been bad leaders. Yeah. And Michelangelo, and I love this. So Michelangelo, what he does, so it, it, with the scene with Peter, Peter, it's, the painting is of Peter being crucified. And it's the moment, so he's, he's the, his cross, and this is, Peter was crucified upside down in That's Rome. Right. And the cross is on the ground. And in the, the painting, Michelangelo is showing the moment that he is being nailed to his cross. And the crazy thing is, when you look at this fresco, St. Peter is looking out of the painting and he's looking at you. And this is so cool. Michelangelo knows this is the place where newly elected popes will go right after they've been named. And so Peter, it's like Peter's looking out of this painting and he's looking at you and he's saying, do you know what it means that you were just elected pope? It means that you were called to be crucified. Oh, that's heavy. Isn't that heavy? Yeah, yeah. And I love that. And here, but and here's the thing. The, the point I want to make with this is that brothers and sisters, like, 
we need heroic priests and heroic, and not just heroic, some lady out there, you guys just fall for any chump who has courage. There are friends of mine, and I shouldn't even say friends. There are, there are priests out there who are courageous, but they're stupid. Right. They're not intelligent. They do not have wisdom. They die on all the wrong hills. They're self-righteous. They're rigid. It drives me crazy. Yeah. And lay people are like, you're courageous. I'll follow you anywhere. We need more than just courage. But I will say we need courage. That's right. And we need priests that are courageous, but that's not easy. And so what I, what I kind of want to say is like, pray for your priests, but are you, and they need to be like that. They need to be the men who are willing to be crucified. That's, that's not easy. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a very intense calling and it does not help your priests when you are nickeling and diming them about every tiny little decision. Right. That doesn't help us. But if you're the kind of lay person that's like, Hey, you made a dumb decision and I'm ticked at you. And I know you're called to greatness and I'm going to go with you. Yeah. Cause one of two things will happen on the flip side. If you go in and you just drop the bomb and you just erupt the whole community. But if you go in there with the part of the solution, you're yeah. either going to walk away being like hearing father Brian's explanation and understanding where he's coming from. And you can then help. Maybe you all of a sudden you're like, wow, that's a great point. Didn't think of it that way. I understand where you're coming from. And now you can help your priest or your archbishop or whatever, get that word out. Cause it's just one man that's being crucified. It's a lot of energy and bandwidth to try to get out there and, or you help him understand another side of the argument, but without being able to have that conversation, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. That's, that's very nasty for everybody involved, but going in with that solution and, and being prepared to go into that fight of financially, emotionally, bandwidth-wise, all the above to really make an impact other than just a really nasty email. And know what the church is about. Right. Even with like masks. I even push back on that one. I'm like, I understand why people get upset about masks. I yeah. do understand that. The church is about the salvation of souls. That's what the church exists for. And when we when we go after priests for things that are not central to what the church is about, I don't know, man. Yeah. Do you really want to spend your capital on that? Right. Do you really want to tear down your priests and have a hard conflict? Maybe, maybe the mask one's worth it. I could be wrong. I mean, I understand that's an important issue. Um, but we get, I mean, when I change mass times, I just changed the mass time at St. Louis. Yeah. People are mad. Right. And I understand that's their mass. Yeah. But what, one of my questions for them is, are you on mission? Right. Are you on mission for the things that really matter? Or are you just upset that you had something happen that's inconvenient? That's right. Um, heavy stuff. <laughs> We're over time. Oh, thank you for all the feedback, comments, emails. Please email us. Um, unless you're going to attack one of us and don't email us. But otherwise, if you email are, us. please attack Patrick. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Rant at lordsdenver.org. And, uh, and as this episode comes out, Ryan and Laura, St. Louis wedding. Congratulations to those guys. They've, Ryan's been the best with this podcast. So I want to say winner, winner, chicken dinner, but I want to do something with a wedding, like wedding, wedding, chicken, fedding, lemming, <laughs> wedding, wedding, flying lemming. Yes. But aren't those things that jump off the cliffs? That's probably not a good example. I have no idea. Okay. Well, <laughs> have a great marriage. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>